0: Welcome to the Sky Society podcast, the place where dream careers come true. I'm your host, founder, and CEO of Sky Society, Natalie Peters. Prepare for smiles, tears, surprises, and epic takeaways. This podcast is for the ambitious woman who wants it all and wants it real. We're diving deep with relatable and dreamy guests who are showing you what actually matters when it comes to starting and accelerating your career so you can make your dream job your real job let's make it happen. We are back with another episode of the Sky Society podcast. And today I am chatting with Samantha Myler. She is the head of social at Fanatics Collectibles. Welcome, Samantha.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you for coming on. Samantha and I are going to jump over to the start of her story because she has a really interesting journey to where she got now in social media, starting in a background within like writing and almost like journalism type. So we're going to get through her entire story. But Before we jump into all of that, if you could tell me a little bit about who you are and what you do.
1: So I am Samantha Myler. A lot of people call me Sam. So whatever comes out of your mouth during this interview, it's all good. I am currently the head of social at Fanatics Collectibles. Fanatics Collectibles is a division of the larger Fanatics brand that focuses specifically on trading cards. So the brands that I'm running are things like TOPS and Zero Cool. And then there's some other brands sort of in the in the mix there. So it's a totally exciting new space where there hasn't been a lot of marketing in the trading card space and there hasn't been a great opportunity for social. And so now I'm getting to build a whole new world from scratch. So it's super exciting for me.
0: That's amazing. So is that is social media and marketing just it really isn't prevalent in that space right now?
1: It, it's growing, but I think the brands themselves haven't really stepped up to the plate as far as social is concerned and really taking advantage of all of the organic opportunities that exist
0: you're just stepping into a world of opportunity.
1: That's the hope, right? Amazing.
0: So Samantha, before, so you recently started at Fanatics, your head of social, congratulations. Prior to that, you were at Nickelodeon for 12 years, which I'm excited to jump into, but we're going to rewind time a little bit even further to your time out of college when you kind of started your career as a writer. So you were writing for Glamour and US Weekly and other publications like that. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
1: Absolutely. So, in college, I was a fashion major, which obviously makes sense according to all of this. But no, not real. But I wanted to be a magazine editor. That was it. I was like the Devil Wears Prada timeline. It was, you know, everybody thought publishing in New York was like the place to be, and so I wanted to be a part of that. So I did spend the first like decade of my career as a magazine editor. I started at Y M Magazine, which no longer exists, R I P. And <laughs> I was a fashion assistant there, where I literally was picking up clothes, steaming clothes for shoots. I was, you know, writing some copy, I was doing going on on trips and shoots and packing things and it was just like a a weird crazy time to be an assistant in a world where so much was happening at once. But I did get some really cool opportunities out of it like getting to go to fashion shows and meeting interesting celebrities and being on shoots and you know, all of that was really great. But I knew I wanted to do a little bit more than just be in the fashion department. I wanted to write a lot more. And so I ended up leaving YM to go to Glamour where I was a staff writer, where I wrote fashion and beauty and do-it-yourself content, which was sort of their do-anything-better guide, which was all about like finding cool home things and little life hacks before life hacks were a thing. And I wrote all of the do's and don'ts. So the famous do's and don'ts from Glamour were part of what I was writing. And then I had an opportunity to move over to Us Weekly, which was building itself into the Us Weekly you know today. So I wrote like the first Stars Are Just Like Us, which is one of those like <laughs> iconic columns that everybody knows and is always in Us Weekly now. But at the time, it was just Pure chaos. We were, most of the people who moved on to that magazine had come from monthlies. None of us had worked in a weekly before. We, the deadlines were insane. We had to close the magazine literally every Monday night. I had to go to the printer, but I would work till like six in the morning, seven in the morning, Tuesday oh night. Oh my like, God. Straight through the night, Monday for like every single week. And we just loved it because it was just like a fun, crazy experience with life. And I think I, I think mean, have told you the story last time, but whatever, I'll tell it again.
0: Yeah, <laughs> um, tell it again.
1: Well, yeah, it's fine. Like there was an, all these times where we would be selecting photos for shoot, like to run in the magazine at like 2 a.m. on Monday. And it had to go that night. By then it was morning, but that night it had to go to print. And my boss would be like, great, now go get some quotes. Like, oh, okay, who can I call at two in the morning to give me a quote to match this celebrity photo? And I would have to, like call like resources in London or other places in Europe and just try and get somebody, anybody who was awake, to give me some sort of expert quote. So it was like, like I said, it was a really crazy, chaotic, and awesome time. And then that editor in chief Bonnie Fuller, who had worked, who I'd worked with a glamour, who had taken me to Us Weekly, then moved over to Star Magazine and brought me there and did the same thing, worked on fashion and beauty and features. And then when over to Life & Style, which was launching at that time. This was like the height of celebrity magazines. There were so many. We were selling every week. We were beating our like sales numbers. Like everybody, this is all the people were buying. This was like before social media. This was just like how people got their you know, FOMO and all of that other stuff that existed. You just got like all of your celebrity gossip, you know, through through the magazine. So I ended up spending a number of years at Us Weekly, I mean, sorry, at Life and Style. And then after that, I went to InStyle and I was like, I got to go back to like less gossip, a little bit more of like the, <laughs> this quote unquote seriousness out of um the beauty. And I really was like a solely working on beauty when I was at InStyle for a year, which was, you know, another great opportunity. And then we get to this world where magazines magazines are dying. Right. So I'd been there in the heyday. Things have been amazing. There was just like, you know, the expression of like champagne was flowing and the free stuff. And I was going to Manolo Blahnik sample sales. Like it was everything you could imagine a fashion magazine life to be, but all started to go away. Like those things just sort of, the magazines were hurting on the newsstand. They were like, staffs were getting smaller. They were like, Hey, this staff will work on all three of these magazines. Right. So it just, like, everything about it changed. And I was like, I don't know if there's a future here in this world for me if there's really a longevity to this career. So I found this amazing opportunity at Nickelodeon and at the time it was to run editorial for their parenting website which was called parentsconnect.com. It no longer exists either, but <laughs> it was just like a, a foot in the door. Um it took my editorial background and I said to my like the person who hired me, I said, I've never worked in digital. I've only worked in print, but I understand audiences and I understand what they want. I was a mother at that time of three young kids and I was like I can do this with my eyes closed. I can write this content. I can edit this. I can figure out what we need to be from a voice pers- and brand perspective. And I got the job. And that job was like a really great turning point in my career. I don't know wow. if you want me to go too far into yeah. the L- and stuff, L- me... but I will let you ask some questions or whatever here.
0: You went over so much. I'm like very There's much so like... <laughs> much. I know. I'm sorry. I, like I
1: said, when you're old, there's like a lot of things to talk about.
0: You're not even, you're not even old, Sam, but- <laughs> You did cover so much in that just like editorial portion of your career, and it very much reminds me, like Devil Wears Prada. Like I'm just imagining like that entire environment, and very like much like glamorized. So like of yeah. like working in that industry, working in that space. What were maybe some of the like biggest things that you took from this time that like now help you in your marketing career that you were able to learn during this time? You of you working these like crazy hours in this crazy environment, being an editor.
1: I mean, there was something to be said about moving from a monthly magazine just to the weekly magazine where it felt so immediate. You know, we were printing, we were closing the magazine, writing things on Monday night, Tuesday morning. It was on the newsstands on Wednesday. To me, that felt so immediate. And now in social media, it's like, click, okay, it's up, right? (laughs) You know, and the whole world can see it. And so I think that like getting that taste of like the immediacy and being able to report something and make a change and understand, you know, your audience to see what you want to bring there really was like a, a big sort of impetus for me. The interesting thing about all those years at the magazines was that a I have like a really strong background in like audience development, knowing what the audience wants, hearing from them even if it's at that time it wasn't the same direct feedback that you get on social media but we got we got letters we got, phone calls. We got research that told us, you know, what our audience was reading and what they really what our, our editor in chief every week would like take all the quote unquote young kids. That was us at the time and be like, here's the cover we're thinking of. What do you think works here? What would you buy, right? And just by even being in those conversations and understanding like, oh, my point of view is relevant because I am the audience here. You know, so all of those like every key takeaway sort of built a lot of stuff into like a foundation for me of like how to be, how to be a good leader, how to be, how to do great work and how to translate that to different medium at the end of the day.
0: There's a lot of women that I know that want to pursue maybe not a career in necessarily magazine print, but like something within fashion and beauty and, and in that like media space. And do you have any advice for them of someone who wants to get started in there or was maybe trying to like work their way up on how they really can succeed?
1: It's a really good question. And I'm so far out of fashion now (laughs) that I don't really have a great answer, but I can just tell you. I mean, to be to be totally fair, the way that I got a lot of my jobs is totally irrelevant in today's day and age, right? Like I wrote letters to all of the magazines and the ones who responded, I got a bunch of interviews and I found a magazine that I wanted to work at and I got that job. And then when I moved, every time I moved within magazines, it was because somebody I had worked with was at that new place and was like, oh, Sam is really great. We should bring her here. Literally, the editor-in-chief when I from when we went from Glamour to Us Weekly was called me like the day she got the job and was like, When are you coming here? And I was like, Well, I have a job. I've finished this. She's like, Can you can you write this thing for me today? And I was like, Well, no, because still have this job, but like, let's figure it out. And you can make me an offer and we can make this work. You know, so she brought me in a couple of times. And so building those relationships. And showing people how valuable you are. So like once you get the foot in the door, I can't help you get the foot in the door at the moment, but I can tell you, once you are, what you can do is just make yourself valuable. And my very first job I, at, at YM, I was told every time I got up from my desk, I had to ask my boss what she needed. Every time I, if did she need coffee, did she want this? Did she need anything else? I was supposed to be grateful that she didn't make me do the things that her boss had done to her when she was an assistant. And I would go home and I'd cry and I'd be like, what is this life that I chose? Why am I doing this? I am smarter than this. I am better than this. And then I sort of had this epiphany where I said, okay, wait, let me just do the stuff she's asking me. And I'm just going to do it with a smile and do it quickly and efficiently. And then I'll have time to do the things that I want to do. And literally within weeks of my like mindset change she was like, "You're the best assistant I ever had. Oh, you want to go on this shoot? Oh, great! We're gonna we're going to Turks and Caicos next week. You should come on that one, right? Like there was so much. All of a sudden, the the opportunity just flowed to me because I was helpful to her because she knew if I was with her, I was going to anticipate her needs. I was going to do everything that was going to make her life easier. And so that's sort of the same thing that happened with the editors along the way, you know." I was a good good enough writer that they liked what I was bringing to the table, but also I understood feedback. And when we spoke the same language, when they'd say, this isn't right. And because I'd be like, oh, I understand what you're saying. And I would just go fix it. And then they'd be like, oh yeah, that's perfect now. So again, it's really about making making yourself valuable.
0: And I think one of the things I'm sensing from you that was a theme throughout your career is that you're able to solve problems very, very quickly. And and, and one thing I have learned is that not everybody can do that. Not everybody can go on their own and solve an issue. There's definitely a lot of people who are like, would, you know, want to make sure that they're doing it absolutely right. So ask a lot of questions or don't take the initiative to do it because they're afraid of doing it wrong. But I think that skill of like being able to, yeah, what you're saying, anticipate needs, go solve problems and make yourself useful is absolutely invaluable in the, in life and career.
1: I mean, to this day, you know, i have I'm still the person who knows how to fix the copier. Right. Like, yeah, <laughs> I'm always like, okay, I got to figure this out. Let's do it. And then that's, that's just the way I am like self-sufficient in a way that's actually helpful to everybody.
0: That is, I mean, I think that's such a good, even example of like, if you're a problem solver, it's even down to those little tiny things. And like I will notice that even cuz I'm very similar and it's even stuff with like friends when you're out and there's a problem and everyone's like not sure what to do it's like okay like this is this is how it's how we're going to solve it and how it's going to get done and I think practicing that skill in like everyday life if it's the coffee maker my I have a nespresso coffee machine that just breaks on me like all of the time <laughs> but like I'm able to like solve it and fix it and I think it's such such a valuable skill to have
1: it's totally true
0: okay sam so then the Magazine world is dying a little bit. You switch in and you get this new role at Nickelodeon. I don't think there's any way we're going to be able to cover everything that you did. No, I will give you some
1: sort of condensed version of the life at Nickelodeon. But are there any specific things that you want me to hit on? I want to hear a little bit about
0: your transition going into social. So it looks like you started like still at this editorial role. But tell me a little bit about like why that's where you gravitated, how you're able to do that and like what success
1: you found in social at Nickelodeon absolutely. So I started the role at Nickelodeon again in this editorial space. And I realized, oh, I I have a Facebook page. Brands are starting to have Facebook pages. We should have one. And so I reached out to the marketing group and I said, hey, I want, I think Parents Connect should have a Facebook page. And they were like, yeah, well, we don't really care about it. So if you want to do it, you can do it. (laughs) I was like, okay, great. And so that's sort of like my first toe dip into working on social, which to me at the time was really just another distribution platform for the editorial we were making for the website. And as social media evolved and changed, we grew with it. So at the time from Parents Connect, we sort of transitioned into this Nick Mom space, which was a TV block for comedy for moms. And then I ran the digital and social piece of that. And at that point it was like, we were on all the social platforms. We were on Pinterest. It was the first brand at Viacom to be on Pinterest because we were like the perfect demographic. When Pinterest first launched, it was very mom centric. You know, there was just so many cool opportunities that were different from the overall Nickelodeon brand because the Nickelodeon brand was for kids and really for TV. And what I was working on was for adults and it was digital. And so like we had a lot more freedom to try a lot of things on social. So that was really just like a lucky break that social came up at the same time I was doing this digital role and that I took it under my wing and said, great, this is gonna live under editorial. And so for the next 10 years at Nickelodeon, I worked most more and more and more on social. So as this website started to die down, as people were getting their information exclusively from social, we didn't need a website. You didn't need to go someplace specific for it. We can just bring that information to you in a place that you already are. That is like the ultimate goal. Thinking back to the magazine days of like trying to appease the audience and give them what they want. Social does that in such a different way. It's literally in your hand at all times. So my role of working editorial and social kept changing. I ran parts of like, Digital and social across brands like Teen Nick and Nicktoons and Nick Music and Nick Splat, which is now just, which was The Splat, then Nick Splat, now it's Nick Rewind, but it was like the 90s era, all the nostalgic stuff. And then there was another reorg, because that's what happens all the time in big companies. And the focus really became on building content for social that lives that is not just derivative of the TV shows, right? So what original content can we make on social and start to build audiences here that is different from the people who watch on TV? And we really, obviously, since social is for 13 plus, we're really focusing on this adult space for that content. And so at that a few years ago, my team was part of the this larger Viacom-wide initiative across social. And We ran everything from the SpongeBob accounts to the Turtles accounts to all the nostalgia that I talked about earlier. And we built original content on social. And we had this crazy freedom because it was not really used as a marketing engine at that moment. It was really used as a content engine. And so that was like a really great new breakthrough.
0: One thing I'm, so I'm I'm pulling together little themes that I'm noticing from your career and it seems like you are always jumping on like what's new and in and like where the trend is, right? Like you were in Natural Magazine when it was hot and then it wasn't so hot and you left and you literally found the next new big thing, which was social media. And you got there before it blew up and became this really big thing. Was there, is that, do you attribute that to luck? Do you attribute that to like you being able to like identify these opportunities? Cause it's like, you're very much staying ahead of the trends like throughout your career
1: growth. I mean, listen, part of it is pure luck and timing, but part of it is seeing the opportunity and saying like, oh, there's something new over there and I want to learn about it. And nobody else really knows what's going on. So if I get in there, then I can play around and it's like a fun little sandbox to do something different. So I think that's part of my personality type is always wanting to do something different. There's nothing... Like, I don't ever want a job where I just have to maintain something that exists, right? I'm like, always want to be building something new and learning and for myself, but then also like building from a brand perspective. So those years at Nickelodeon, parts of the things were building all of those, you know, random brands that came out, you know, it was like, oh, build this, build this, figure out what the voice is for here. And then after the Viacom Digital Studio, that's what it was called, the Viacom yeah. Digital Studio era, era, Um, Nickelodeon as a, you know, and- in another reorg was like, Hey, we have social that lives over here under you, Sam. That's like adult targeted, very content specific. There's another group that's living specifically for the brand. And that's very marketing focused. And then there's another group doing it on the Nick junior brands, just talking to preschool. And they basically said, why do we have these things living in multiple places? They should all live in one place. And so that's when I got the role of head of social for all of Nickelodeon social for all of the different pieces. <laughs> and so my team went from, you know, this very focused content-based adult targeted to the entire ecosystem. And by the time I left, I had about 40 something people reporting up through me. And we had a giant, <laughs> we had a giant organization of content makers, strategists, community managers, and it really, an operational people who really ran the day-to-day of the, of the accounts. And it's felt very legitimate, right? From being this little thing in the corner where yeah. like, yeah, whatever, go play over there to now, look, this is a giant aspect of the business.
0: That is incredible that you were able to that of going like, hey, there's this new thing. I have a Facebook page. We should have one to now managing a team of 40 at a huge company like Nickelodeon is absolutely insane and amazing for for you to be able to accomplish that. What, let me... So now, so you have this new role and you're managing like all of these social media accounts and you had to learn on the job. It wasn't like, like now, you know, you're at Fanatics and you get to take everything that you learned at Nickelodeon and you get to apply it to Fanatics with some, some growth along the way. But what was it like, like giving this or getting that responsibility or even all the different accomplishments you had th- throughout Nickelodeon? Because like you had never done that before. This was like your first time doing
1: everything. I mean, there's something amazing about, like I said, there's no path to follow and There's a freedom that comes with that. There's also, you know, for some people, that's just very scary, (laughs) right? Like, what do I do? I don't know. And like, if you fail, it's also okay, right? Like we put things out there that we thought were going to be awesome. And they were like total duds. You're like, "Mm, okay, well, that's fine. Another thing I learned in magazines, which is a really great quotable quote, I had an editor-in-chief at one point when I was at one of the tabloids. And he said, let's just remember that people read this while they're taking a dump, so and then the next day it is lining the parrot cage <laughs> so, was like you know take it all with a graveness all a little perspective of like what are we doing we're not we're not curing cancer we're not doing anything like super meaningful and I think there's something to be said for that in a social space as well right like people are just scrolling by like they may stop they may not stop and if they do great and if they don't that's okay too but it's again it's I want everything to be great, but I'm also not like a super perfectionist. That's like going to go back on 70 rounds of edits on a piece of content. That's living out a tweet with a shelf life of seven minutes.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And you're able to take those risks and be able to experiment more and be more innovative when you are less tied to having everything perform perfectly And I, I love that example of like the, with the newspaper or the magazine. I know it's like, it's it's totally (laughs) crass, but it's totally true. It is totally true. And you know, it's something even like with, with stuff with Sky Society, like I like at the beginning with like everything, okay, if this didn't look the right way or, or like all these little things, you know, I would obsess over being right. And then like, literally like no one no one really remembers and even no one else you think notices
1: like, a right they're no. like this looks great this is polished wonderful and you're like okay mm-hmm. I know it could have been better but it's okay
0: <laughs> and especially on social I think of like how many times celebrities get canceled but like they're canceled <laughs> for
1: a week <laughs> Well, okay I mean week? listen there are plenty of things that I have like crazy rules against with my teams and I always tell them you know like we when you represent a brand you have to be like super careful about what you put out there right like yes, you don't yes. want to accidentally say something that's offensive like inadvertently offensive or just inappropriate and every once in a while like something'll come across my desk and i'm like i don't i don't think we can post this <laughs> right and you know for whatever reason and we always have a little bit of great dialogue you know between the creators and whoever else is involved and then we usually if i if if I'm saying no 99% of the time, it doesn't get posted because I have a like higher barrier. I have a high barrier, but I'm also like very realistic about what's possible. So yeah, it is a slippery slope that you could, you don't want to be the one who posts the thing that screws the whole no, thing. No, no.
0: Yeah. I mean, that is definitely an ex- getting That's an extreme version of it, but just going back to your point of that, it isn't, it is an Instagram post. It And as long as it's not like kind of what you mentioned, like crazy, crazy out there. It's it's a design element. At
1: the same time, we, I mean, one of the things I've done and I did at Nickelodeon that I'm working on here at Fanatics is like our influencer marketing, which is working with other people, you know, who are quote unquote celebrities, influencers, whatever you want to call them. And I have to vet them. And I go through all the time and I look at people's posts for like years. And I'm like, "Did, did this person ever do anything that if we have them saying, Oh, we're posting for Nickelodeon. We're posting for fanatics that people are gonna be like, why would you ever partner with this person? Because of exactly what you're saying, they were canceled. And how did we not know that? So just this, this week, I was, somebody had brought a person that they wanted to do some work with to me. And my team looked at it and was like, absolutely not (laughs) like that. You don't want this person representing the brand. And it's, you know, it's hard, but it's also like very, very important.
0: Yeah. So is that, that's part of your team's job is if there is someone you want to work with, you literally go through all of their socials through everything that they've ever posted. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll do, you know, we do our due diligence for sure. Wow. Good to keep in mind.
1: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. exactly.
0: Okay. So you took over all of social media at Nickelodeon. I guess some other, I guess we'll take it to like, maybe just a fun, silly question is like, did you ever get to work with like Cool celebrities are like. I mean, I know you have kids, so I'm sure like they were watching TV on Nickelodeon, and you were like, you know, getting to work on social media. Like, do you have any fun stories from that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I got to go to things like the kids Kids Choice Awards, the Kids Choice Sports Awards. For years, we ran. We did, when I was a part of the Nick Sports, we had like big setups at Super Bowl year after year. We did things like slime, all these different. I remember athletes. the slime. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> like there's there like what jumps out as like the most celebrity celebrity personally i think from at the time this was like the, my biggest get ever was when i was at us weekly and i interviewed jessica simpson like during the newlyweds era you know <laughs> like in her hotel room and i was like okay this is the ultimate like this this was really big and it's kind of funny now because i don't know if that was as big as some of the other people i've met in my life but it was like at the moment it felt like really pretty amazing yeah. Especially when you're Um, young and you're starting out. I'm sure that had to be surreal. Exactly. You know, just this week I was, you know, working with a bunch of retired athletes, agents to help with like a, a, an activation we were working on. And I'm like, oh, like, this is kind of cool too. Like, I know that guy, I grew up with him. I don't know. I feel like I should have a better story than I do.
0: (laughs) It's okay. I mean, I feel like if you're, you're in it all the time, that's maybe just kind of became like the norm of like, this is what I do. And this
1: is who I work with. Exactly. No. I, but I will say that, you know, 99.9% of the celebrities I ever worked with were so gracious, so nice, you know, wonderful mm. to, to be around. And, you know, sometimes they look at the social people and they're like, oh, you know, like I have to do that thing. And then other ones are like, can I do 400 of these? Let's do more TikToks. <laughs> right. So you kind of never know what you're going to walk into, but I, I appreciate when everybody is receptive and really just professional and willing to do the work.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So it seems like, again, there's this theme for for you of always wanting to like go into new spaces where there's room to expand and explore. So now making this switch over to fanatics, I know we touched on this at the beginning, but is that kind of the area that excites you? Is that this really isn't a huge social presence or kind of what is your vision now going into this new role?
1: I'm really excited about bringing personality and a little editorial voice to the card brands that I'm working on, there are humongous super fans, people who buy trading cards, who are fully obsessed, who know it upside down, inside out, who are not only like emotionally invested in their cards, but they're financially invested in their cards. And it's a whole, you know, economic circle of its own. But what's really cool is the idea that there's so much open space, white space of people who don't collect cards, but they're sports fans or they are fans of you know the topic or the the culture that we're putting on a card. And they don't know that the cards even exist, right? So how do we get this whole wide world of people who like these particular things, who are collectors in their own right, but maybe not collectors of cards to become collectors of cards? And so I think that's sort of, to me, the most exciting thing here is like, not just catering to the existing audience, right? Great, that's wonderful, I wanna make them happy, but how do I make that audience even bigger? And I think that growth opportunity was really what drew me into this job.
0: Very exciting. And I know you've only been there for a couple of months since like a couple of months now, but literally like pop- three
1: months in. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> how was it like, cause since you've had, you know, your role previously was for like 12 or 13 years and now like starting over brand new, like, how does it feel to now be like the new kid in the, in the classroom?
1: I, I was just talking to a friend about this last week. I it's totally freeing to be the one who doesn't know absolutely everything. I mean, sure, like soon enough, I'll know how to fix the copier here. We just yeah. moved offices this week. I don't even know where the copier is yet.
0: <laughs> so you'll do? find it and you'll fix I will it. Find it. And I will
1: fix the jams when they get in there. But it's really great to, to not have everybody turn to me and be like, well, what have we done before? Right? Mm-hmm. I'm the one who's like, how about this idea? And I'm okay if somebody's like, we tried that and it didn't work. I'm like, oh, okay, great. Let's try this. Let's try this. Let's get new ideas in here. It's It's just a completely new experience. And I love it.
0: How exciting! I could definitely like see how that would be very freeing. Of now, you yeah, you get to be the almost like the kid, not when everyone else like the adult, right? Like everyone else knows everything, and you're just there learning and soaking it up and getting to like start and and try your new ideas. The irony of it all is that there's been
1: a lot of other new people since I've started, and now they're like, "Oh, you're an old person." Now like, you're I'm the one old one. one. <laughs> <laughs> like I do not know that much more than you, but we'll figure it all out together. <laughs>
0: So social media is probably one of the top areas that like women in marketing really want to go into just because it's something that they use every day. So it just seems like the thing that they most gravitate towards when it comes to marketing. Hopefully with the podcast, they get to see other career opportunities and avenues that are within marketing. But I know with you, social media is your specialty. Do you, is there anywhere like that you go, you know, favorite resources you have for news or how you're finding about new trends or kind of like where you stay updated on everything or like where someone who's going to be new to this space can go and learn
1: about social media? Sure. So, I mean, a lot of it is word of mouth at the end of the day and I get my social news via social, right? So I have, I have like some private groups that I'm a part of that of all social media managers and and social media experts, and they're always dropping ideas and they're like, Hey, did you see this thing? Oh, you know, this new functionality just dropped on this platform. We're testing it out. Has anybody else had this experience? So it's been like, for me, that's really, really helpful because your other people are literally in the same scenario. I also have my own colleagues and people I've worked with over the years. So when I was at Viacom, we had a sort of council of all of the social lead- leads from all the different brands and we would meet and we would talk and we would slack each other again, the same things. So we always were up on the same information. So that's really great Obviously, that's not helpful for you're just getting started, but it is, you know, create your group of people and make Mm -hmm. sure you guys, you know, help each other out and share along the way. And then I really just am a user of the platforms. (laughs) And so I make sure that I see what's happening and what people are talking about. And I know what a trending sound is on TikTok because I'm also seeing that same trending sound because I am actively, you know, watching a lot of TikToks, whatever. So you can't be a strong social leader and not be knee-deep in the platforms every single day.
0: Do you find it difficult to be, have to like be knee-deep in social media all the time? Does it ever get exhausting or is it something that you just love so much that it doesn't really feel that way?
1: It's 100% exhausting, but it's my job and I find ways to make my personal moments on social media, even though it's work because I am seeing what's happening, I try to make it really about me and my experience. So while work-wise, I'm, you know, if I'm on the TOPS account and I'm trying to see what's happening with other card breakers and, you know, card enthusiasts, that's work. When I'm on Samantha Myler, it's my friends and family and it's, it's clothing brands and it's a lot of shopping and it's all the things that really, sorry, I'm like choking. <laughs> Hold on. Sorry. <laughs> oh,
0: okay. good. I know. Whenever I do my the podcast episodes, I need like a full glass of water because talking really gets your throat.
1: No, I just like I feel like I, I like swallowed a fly or something. I Ugh. don't. Know. <laughs> Whatever, it's all good. So when I'm on as me, I make sure that like what I'm seeing is relevant to me and what interests me. Like we're in the process of a house renovation, so like my feed is an awful lot of like decor ideas and furniture. And so like even though the topic is completely different from my work life. I'm still seeing the same mechanics and the same trends. And so I can help use that as like a way to translate, but it feels like it's my own free time that I'm spending there.
0: Yeah. Okay, Sam, we've gone through, I mean, so much. We went through your magazine editorial career, uh, Glamour and, and style and all of that. And then we went into you working at Nickelodeon and really like starting the socials there, which is absolutely insane. So now you're you're starting your 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 new move over at Fanatics Collectibles. Do you have any last advice that you want to share for
1: women in marketing? Listen, I think these days, I <clears throat> you know when I started, I've always been, no, sorry to start, start that whole sentence over. I've been like super lucky through my whole career to have very strong women to look up to. Magazine publishing was very women centric. Nickelodeon was pretty women, female centric. I'm now in a space that's definitely more male centric. And I don't, I didn't realize how much I took for granted all of those women before me all of those years. So I think as a woman, it's great to make sure you have mentors and have people that you can look up to in all stages of your career. There's When I was leaving Nickelodeon, I got the most wonderful note from a woman who I was not close with. I didn't, you know, are we worked together, but not like super close saying how I had been, you know, such an inspiration because, you know, raising my kids and working and being in charge and all this stuff. And I was like, oh, people are watching, even when you don't even realize they're watching. And so on the other side of it, it's also really nice to be able to present options and show people what life can be like. You know, it doesn't have to be cutthroat. It doesn't have to be negative. You can have a positive career and you can raise a family (laughs) and you can find that balance with like life and work. I just babbled a lot, but I really feel like there's something deep in there (laughs) about, there's something there about women and, you know, really lifting each other up from every angle.
0: Yes. And I, I mean, that's a huge reason why I started this podcast is actually because I was maybe where you are now, where there weren't women around me that I could like, that I knew who had career ambitions in marketing or who were doing really awesome things. And I absolutely think it's so important. And what you said, like when people are watching, you don't even know that they're watching. And so I think like, we're all hope like inspirations to other people, even if we may not know it, or that we're able to help someone just by like taking a risk and moving up in our career. Cause then we get to show some, some other women that, Hey, you could do it just like how I did it, and so, yeah, I absolutely think that's incredibly valuable in growing your career.
1: It is, you know, and and no one gets anywhere on their own. Everybody has to have help along the way, and you have to see that and recognize that. So when I, you know, for years as a, I act as buffer, right? Like when weird negative feedback would come back, I'd be like, I'll take the brunt of it. I'm not going to let my employees who are doing the majority of the work take the brunt of that because they're going to be like take it very differently because they also don't have the perspective of time and and experience. There's just so many different ways you don't even realize that people that good leaders are looking out for you and you know you really appreciate it when you see it. Yeah, amazing. All right, Sam, thank you so much again. It's been wonderful talking to you and I'm really excited about this opportunity. I I hope that if people, you know, people reach out to me all the time on LinkedIn and I I'm pretty good about getting back to people and setting up time when I can so i really you know hope that if we inspire anybody i hope i we, think
0: we definitely hope we, we do definitely something we do some
1: good here that's really it at the end of the day
0: If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. You can also join our private LinkedIn group for women in marketing. It's called Sky Society Women in Marketing and you are welcome to join us on LinkedIn. And you can also follow us on Instagram and TikTok at skysociety.co for more information on all things marketing and career. And I'll see you in the next episode.